right, all right. Check one, check two. This is it. Welcome to the Cannabis Coffee Hour with your host, me, Rob Cantrell. Oh, yeah, we're back. We're doing it. I have an exciting guest, a great guest, hilarious, funny, smart, intelligent, cool, hip. Uh, she's uh, written two books. Uh, one that I just finished called Tell Everybody on This Train. I love them. Uh, she's also on NPR, uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. She has a show uh, in at Littlefield here in Brooklyn, uh, a venue called Littlefield. The show's called Butterboy on Mondays. It's dope. It's awesome. She's amazing. She's from Ireland. This is going to be a trip. This is going to mm -hmm. be cool, audio and visual. And uh, let's say hello to Maeve Higgins, everybody. Hi, Rob. Hi, Maeve. Hi. What a nice introduction. Thank you. Oh, thanks for being on. Thanks for being on the Cannabis Coffee Hour. I'm oh, no, I'm delighted. I was doing, like you mentioned, Butterboy, which is like how we know each other from, from that comedy show. And I, as the host, you have to introduce people. And I just think I'm not good at it. Like, I'm too selfish. And so I'm often just like, I find this next person very funny, you know, as if it's like about me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, you you saw the uh, the uh, ego pop in there when I say your host, and then I say myself. Anytime that you say yourself in a third person, it's a little, uh, you know, centered. But at the same time, <laughs> I do like the idea of showbiz. Like, let's get the party going. You know? I think so. You kind of have to do it, like when you, yeah, because you have to remember like we're entertainers you know like i know comedians are really self-important i speak for myself and, and like that and sometimes i think it gets lost that oh we're actually the deal that we're entering into if somebody like you know starts a podcast or comes to a show they're they just want to be entertained like it's wild to me that you know we think it's anything more than that yeah, because it's just so hard to do. I mean, stand up is the uh -huh. easiest thing, but also the hardest thing at the same time. It's very zen <laughs> in that way. Like, you're like, oh, I'll just go up there. I've been goofy, goofy my whole life. I'll just go up there and goof it up. And, <laughs> and then you go up there and you're like, oh, you know, this is in real time. I got to figure this all out. So it takes a while to figure it out. And that figuring out is very internal. Like it's very, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say that. Oh, they can't wait for this one coming. So when, <laughs> so when you throw uh, an intro in there, it's almost like you gotta go back to a whole other gear. You know, when I'm doing stand up or going into material, the number one thing is I'm trying to get the material, I'm trying to be funny, mm -hmm. I'm trying to listen to everything that's going on. But then, like, like you said, I have a problem with hosting. I've I've forgotten names. I've done the whole everything you can yeah. think of. I've done, uh, but I also have nailed it a bunch of times. You know, I've just been doing it for so long that uh, I so I never get mad if somebody messes up an intro of mine. Um, yeah, I I I sometimes do. I mean, like if you get a very bad intro. Or like if someone does some like really strange material in front of you and like lets all the air out of the room and then you have to st you're starting from such a back on such a back foot like there's days that i'm like cool like this is you know this is so hard like let's see if i can dig my way out of this one but yeah. then more days i'm just like oh can you just like set it up nicely <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, oh. just like and i don't know what the best kind of intro is like I, when i was starting off i really liked when people were like okay like she's new you know like she's useless and like don't expect too much because then you'd be like okay well at least if i'm in any way competent they'll be relieved and happy um because then it's like if you get like a big showbiz you know you know her from blah blah then it's like then you come out you're like hi <laughs> and that first joke Sorry. is always 50 50 you're like even mm. no matter how good you are like your first joke you're still like swinging the bat and like i hope this connects you know and totally. totally so you never know so if they give you a big uh thing and and sometimes i think the the best sets that i have always loved doing stand-up comedy is if I'm kind of tanking in the beginning and then I win mm. them, 
And then at the end, you know, you get a good dismount and get out of there. The worst is starting off strong and then ending bad. That's so true, actually. And I always, I mean, I've been doing stand-up for so many years. And every single time I do it, I'm like, oh, Maeve, remember, you need an ending. Because I'm much more of a, like, peter out, slink away (laughs) style. And and I never do, I never have that big closer. I've never managed to do that. I don't know. I don't actually know how to do that. Uh, yeah, you just need you need a family friendly <laughs> bit that lasts about 15 minutes with some sound <laughs> effects. And if you have a call and response or uh, 80s rap song at the end and uh, found you. Oh, that's it. Uh, then you're closing shows. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I know doing headlining. I don't know if headlining's anymore, but yeah, I started in 1999 and I mm-hmm. uh I got on the very first season of Last Comic Standing within three years, and I was living in San Francisco. I didn't even have an agent or manager, and I was top 10. So everybody, like, within, like, it went from zero to a thousand all at once. Yeah, yeah. I had to headline shows, and I had to headline these shows, and sometimes I would just tank because, yeah, you do have to have that. But the thing about, I think the evolution of standups moving a lot faster and the crowd is getting a lot smarter. Mm. But uh, in the early 2000s, uh, mid 2000s, you know, you had the 30 minutes of material check drop and then bring them all home at the end. And, you know, that's how you would do it, you know, and that's. Yeah. But there was a point in my career that I released a hip hop album. Well, I did a couple (laughs) songs and I had this old beat machine. And uh, it was an analog Yamaha DJX. And it wasn't not like looping or Reggie Watts or mm. any of that. This was just like this funky old machine that made these like trance hip hop beats that like, you know, ecstasy kids would do in the mm. 90s. Like they would just listen to this and stare at a disco ball. And uh, I used to play that at the end. And let me tell you, it would crush every time. So that's how I kind of cheated. And did you rap over it or something? Yeah, yeah. I had a song about. Oh, laundry. okay. I had a song about laundry. Uh, <laughs> I had a song about laundry and a song. And I just got married and I had another song. These are songs that are out there. I just put out like a greatest hits album that I uh, self-released myself. But one was called Married and Shit. And it was all about being married and shit. Yeah. And uh, the, the other one was laundry. And then there was coffee and weed. <laughs> which I did with Art Parker. Uh, and uh, th- th- that's how this kind of, that was like some of my loves. But that was really yeah. fun. Like, I wouldn't mind if it, if the heat comes on again and I have to headline super shows like that. Closing with a song is always fun. Yeah, and it's like, it's almost an automatic response. Like, it's almost like a, um, wait, what's that thing when a, when a Pavlovian response, you know, that like you hear a song and you just clap and cheer at the end. Yeah. Whereas like with the bit, it's not as easy, especially if it doesn't land, because it's just kind of like, okay, are they are they done? Is that that's it? But like with the song, it's very clear. Like everyone's like, okay, I understand what's happening. Like we're being, you know, and again, it's so entertaining, you know, like it's like pure fun and silly and like somebody making an effort. I know. And it is a bit hacky, you know, being a hard. I am a hardcore stand up and I like one liners and I do all that and I live for the game. And so there was a <laughs> Wait, you of, live for the game, not live for the <laughs> game. But you know how stand up purists, if I was a snob and I am, there's a part of me that is a snob like, oh, that is some hacky shit. You're, cl- you're oh, break, playing a song at the end. Gonna, you're going to break out the guitar and play a song at the end, man. You just got to write a new bit. Uh, no, no, whatever, whatever people have a good time with, that's the job. That's like, that's, I am, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the job these days. Mm-hmm. And like, I wouldn't. Mm, yeah, like, oh, so you think maybe that that isn't stand up like it's not pure stand up. I think it's a little just a time. It's, it's a little bit of the cheating of. And this is like I said, like purest type thought like doing 45 minutes strong with a strong mm. closer, like in terms of like doing an hour. And I don't think hours going to I've heard like word on the street. People aren't even watching hours. But back in the day, like if you had to do an hour, a lot of it was, you know, you had to have a couple strong openers. You had to be able to do a little crowd work during the check stop. Yeah, and then you had to do a you know, a bit that was better than all the others that in a story was always good. 
because you kind of bring everything in and there's a theme and and whammo, you know, if you yeah. landing, if you're doing a gymnastics uh, parallel bars, you're sticking <laughs> the landing uh, when you got that. And so the song, like you said, there is that, the thing, like, even if you have a cheesy song with the guitar, they'll clap at the end. It doesn't yeah. matter if it is mediocre funny or really funny. At the end of the guitar, people will be like, oh, that sounds good. Well done. <laughs> you did a little song. Thank uh, you. <laughs> I mean, there's also like really great younger stand-ups now, like Marsha Belsky and, and like tons of like kind of musical theater style, like sub subverting that. And um, I guess they're stand-ups as well, you know, like they just mix it and they don't feel any pressure to... I think, I mean, I'm like speaking for them. I don't know. I've just see seen oh, a lot right. of, no, yeah. I, uh, I think experimenting with art is ex exactly the way to mm. go in forward thinking. And I think when you conceptualize something in terms of like, this is the only way you could do it, you know, you're really putting a box into it and we're moving forward. Like life is moving forward and there's yeah. no real container for anything because everything's just flowing. Yeah. So, you got to find out what you, it's kind of like uh, I was listening something about the London punk scene in the 70s. It was actually Billy Idol on XM last night. Mm -hmm. And uh, he but he was talking about how they were down with reggae so much. And they were talking mm -hmm. about like they would go to the reggae bars and uh, the Jamaican DJs would play dub play like they would play these dub versions where they would just, you know, take that bass of a, like a Bob Marley song and cut out all the vocals. So you're just grooving to the bass in, in the echo chamber. And, you know, they were and he, they, they and he was saying like the punk kids liked it so much because it was just so creative, like they took the norm and was like, OK, we're going to take the norm and really, you know, mm -hmm. and whereas purists would be like, why are you messing up this beautiful song? You know? Yeah, 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 definitely. And it's like, you know, it's that eternal question as well. Like, is there something new really that you can do? Or do you always just take, you know, things that have already been done and, and just make a new version of them? Yes. It, it's very like, it's, it's very, uh, I don't know, like individualistic and egotistic to think like I am creating something from whole cloth here, you know, it's like, never really not said. like yeah. you're just not. And, and if you're, do, if you say you're doing that, you're, erasing someone else's work or you know or you or you just like don't know the history of your form yep and how you know and I think being an artist or getting in that headspace you do get more internal and stuff mm. and that's what's cool about living in New York is like you're just always seeing how many people there really are in this world and how many cultures there really are in this world and you gotta be like Hey, there's so many different ways to think. There's so many different mm -hmm. angles going on right now. And um, yeah, you're not really, it's all been said, it's all been done, no matter how demonic and angelic, it's all been, you know, as we've been around for so long, all this stuff has been done before. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's exciting. And that's, I, I that kind of leads into because what I've always I always I mean, it's a I want to write a book. I got it in me. I'm a, well, you do. Yeah, I, I want I would I, I do. I, I will. If I live long enough, I will. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I know how hard it is and I know how much work it is. Ugh. And I but I was an English major, creative writing major in college. And, uh, you know, there is a sense like, why should I write a book? It's all been, you know, it's all been written before. Did you face that uh, being a writer? Did you start as a writer and then into stand up or did stand up give you the confidence to be like, oh, I could knock out a book? It was um, stand up first for me um, and for many years. And then it was kind of. um I mean, they're certainly related. Like I would write funny things. And then I started to, um, yeah, like write like opinion columns for newspapers and stuff like that. But, um, and, and certainly with opinion and like with lots of different forms of journalism too, you, of course there's, you can talk yourself out of it by saying, oh, like who wants to hear your take? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't really have a good answer for that, except like if you have that itch 
like you should probably scratch it because otherwise like it won't it just won't leave you it's like it's it's like very hard to write but it's like harder not to um because it's like kind of torturous if you're if you're thinking oh I wish I could do this I mean to do this I will do this and then you don't like that's that's a tough place to be in I think um yeah and that's leads to people drinking in bars and uh <laughs> yeah having cirrhosis of the liver and because they never went for it you know they never went for but it but like so does writing <laughs> so I don't know what the right answer is <laughs> there's uh, certainly plenty self-destructive like alcoholic you know but you know yeah writers too I know but but yeah I mean any any form of self-expression that you can figure out is probably healthy for you whether or not you want to put it out into the world is is kind of a different thing but any kind of um way to get your thoughts and feelings across and to understand them better yourself it's often you know it often helps to to try and externalize them in some way whatever if that's music if that's um if that's comedy, if it's, you know, any, anything, collage, painting, anything. Dance. Dance. Yeah, for sure. I, I interviewed, um, I saw David Burns show on Broadway. Oh yeah. Have you seen that? I watched it's, it. It's on also HBO. on HBO. Yeah. It's, yeah, that, I, wa- it's I loved it. Isn't it wonderful? Uh, American Utopia. Yeah. American mm-hmm. Utopia, his song structure, his style. Even when he was, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when they were on the radio and it sounded kind of like, you know, interesting pop, you know, kind of new wave stuff. But now that I revisit it and listen to the lyrics and just the structure of the song, like it's just so much different. And what I love about him is he's funky as a white dude. He is funky. Like, yeah, (laughs) just it's has this it kind of has an upbeat and uh-huh. it has a little bit of awkwardness to it. But yeah. at the same time, it looks cool, you know? And that is a yes. magic trick. Yeah, I mean, it is It is magic. He also, like, has an incredible choreographer called Annie B. Parson. And then the, one of the dancers is who I wanted to talk to from, like, from the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tendai Kumba, her name is. And, like, I talked to her all about, like, what it was like being in the show and what it was like um, expressing herself through movement. Because when I watched the show, it was like, yes, David Byrne, incredible. All the musicians, like incredible. But like, it was her that I could really like feel things coming through her. Like she was like emoting and expressing herself through dance in in a way that like I have never done. And I don't think I can, or like, I don't think it's like my, (laughs) <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't work that way for me and um, so I was so fascinated you know with her and like I talked to her about like how do you do that and she said like since you're tiny um like you like dance you're like dancing with your mom in the kitchen um and she says it's like her mother tongue and it happens when like you're most relaxed when you're very comfortable um you're like connected to your home space and she was very adamant that like um, that you can express yourself through dance, even about like sad and, um, you know, kind of historic things. And um, she uses like West African dance in her in the show in American Utopia that, you know, of course, David Byrne is thrilled to to promote and to have up there on stage. And um, yeah, she says it's a form of like bringing peace to her community which I was like blown away by that. Like you could do all that with a, you know, a, on a stage in Broadway, like by dancing, by entertaining people and at the same time, get to express yourself and get to like pass along those feelings so that others can, you know, feel them too. I know it's an energy and it's a, uh, and it, it is one of the most vulnerable things you can do is dance in front of somebody and as a man, <laughs> it's very, very it's I think it's I don't I don't think anybody's really tough unless they could if as a dude, uh, <laughs> if they could dance. And I know a lot of people don't like that and stuff like that. But I grew up break dancing. I grew up I was born in 1972. Hip hop. Yeah. 83. Yeah. I was into sports. Uh, my mind was all over the place. And then this music came from outer space that I didn't even understand. And I was down in the basement popping and locking by myself for hours. hours How did you learn, though? Because you didn't have YouTube. 
Uh, didn't have YouTube. The movie, the one movie, the reason I'm here, uh-huh. if you ever want to see a great American film, it's called Beat Street. Mm-hmm. And it's about a graffiti writer and a break dancer. And it was actually uh, Sydney Point Pointney, uh was the producer. And some it was just like super high end uh, major film. Uh, but it was all in New York and it mm. was shot gritty and cool and some great. It had like the first appearance of Dougie Fresh. It had mm-hmm. all this stuff in the South Bronx. And I, w- I watched it on loop. I would watch oh. it completely on loop. And in terms of hip hop, in terms of my age, the, the school thought was Breaking was a movie. And then there was uh, Beat Street. Now, Breaking was L.A. and California. I like California. Mm-hmm. But the if you're going to talk hip hop, if you want to talk, if you're talking coffee and espresso, if you want the real deal, it's in New York. It's always been in New York. You know, the you yeah. know, subways, the art for me, it's like the bubble letters, the colorful, the dance, the, the futuristic beats, like all of that combined into a universe. Like it was like going into another planet. But that is, I'll tell you, I did, I was the best break dancer. I grew up in Washington, D.C. Uh, in the 70s. And, uh, and that, but we moved, my dad, we moved to the Appalachian Mountains in Southern Virginia, a town mm. of 5,000. Hardcore rednecks, like punch you in the face for reading a book type. Mm. Like I grew up with some rough, but blue collar, played football, good people, hilarious. <laughs> but I didn't fit in. Uh, I was into break dancing. Everybody was uh, into country music and uh, heavy metal. <laughs> but the town next door had an orphanage, and the best break dancer in like four counties was called Stormin Norman. And he was 17 years old, and I was like 12. And my mom got me break dance lessons from Stormin Norman over at the orphanage, and she arranged. She just he had a rep and like in the in the county as just this best break dance. He had a boom box. His, <laughs> uh, parents, I think he was from New York or whatever. Like this is very oh. early on. But I remember going to the orphanage and he would teach me ev- like all like getting down the floor, all this stuff. For, and my mom would give him just like 20 bucks in cash. And uh, and that's how I learned. And from there, uh, yeah, it was my dad. I, we can go into it, but it's all it, I have an album that I tell the story about. But my dad mm-hmm. just passed away in a car accident and I was just mm-hmm. so sad. And then there was no way to express myself. And through dance, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it's physical. It's much like yoga. Mm-hmm. Like when, if you're going through a hard time mentally, the best thing to do is to go out for a walk to get your body moving, getting mm-hmm. get your body. And then you're like, yo, my body's fresh. Yo, mm. I have a, a human form. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, yeah. You almost forget, don't you? When you're really sad, it doesn't feel like you have a body. It feels like you're just this like feeling. <laughs> yeah. You're just the, that that dark cloud of yeah. thoughts and memories and all this stuff just like swarming in your head. And uh, yeah, dance, dance is a great you know, cannabis is a great way to get out of depression, but uh, yeah, <laughs> even if you're bad at it, wait, do you think it is? Uh, yeah, we can go into the cannabis coffee hour. Yeah, for me, I would say for my personal experience and what I've yeah. seen on this podcast that, yeah, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and it was a very alcohol cigarette. I was drinking mm-hmm. beer when I was 13, smoking cigarettes hanging underneath the bridge, the mm. whole thing, hanging with the bad kids. Uh, and pot gave me, when I got to college, I didn't smoke it when I was young, but when I got to college, it was just even more drinking and more yeah. partying. And I enjoyed it, but I was just fucking making mistakes and pissing my bed, the whole nine you learn. Um, but pot was just like an angle that I took to kind of get away from that. and. Then you get older as a dude or a girl, you get into your 20s and then cocaine comes around and harder drugs come around into that, you know, social party environment. And Mm. I always just leaned into cannabis and Mm. um, it kind of steered me away from where I think I would have gone that route. Hmm. I've always and then when I went to San Francisco uh, in my early 20s and I started doing uh, stand up comedy there. Uh, I just used it as a survival method instead of drinking 
because mm-hmm. I would just get these bad, bad hangovers from drinking. You know, I would just get like two and I would get depressed. My motions would drop mm. cannabis. I would get more positive. I think I had I think I still do have intense anxiety and uh, cannabis would just cut it like a hot knife through butter. Like it would just whoosh, cut it right out. But it can flip. It could flip. You know, it could cause even more anxiety and more self negative thoughts as you i read your chapter in your book uh tell everybody on this train that i love them mave has a hilarious chapter in this how she accidentally ate a whole box of uh oh sorry chocolates <laughs> wait wait just as you were saying that i your the connection froze and i was like it's happening again. <laughs> like, <laughs> somehow, even by talking about it, I'm going back to that like day when I ate a whole, yeah, ate a whole box. It's the trauma. I mean, it's so common. That's the, that's a funny thing. Like we were saying earlier, like, oh, should I even write this? Like everyone has already said this. It is so common now, like animals, kids, everyone is like accidentally eating edibles and and it's it's largely harmless you know it's like a few bad hours or whatever but um yeah for me it was definitely like a bad experience it was a very dark day actually like week it took almost a full week before I felt normal again um after I ate I ate like 80 milligrams of THC and and you know that's coming from somebody who, who never smokes or does any edibles at all so it was very intense and unexpected and like I missed a flight that I was supposed to get you know it was like really messy <laughs> yeah it can go it can go it can get really dark and uh strange if you're not used to it yeah uh, edibles is like it gets into your bloodstream and gets into your brain and there's no real way of working it out you just Mm. have to ride it out because it's in there Mm -hmm. but i would say i would equate it like if you didn't drink alcohol and then you drank a whole bottle of jim beam wow and you know how it would be kind of you know you would be drunk and piss and you know that's the terms of edibles i would say you know, you're, you gotta be very, uh, cannabis, I always, I think I should lead as an example and nobody really listens to anybody. I think you need to be more of an example. I'm trying to get to that point where I'm not judging or any of that, where I'm just like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm doing my thing and this is working for me. But uh, but yeah, I guess what I was just saying is like, uh, yeah, you have to be, I always say with cannabis, like. I would wait till you're 18 or 21 because your brain needs to form, you know, mm-hmm. you're messing, you're, you know, you're messing with your brain a little bit. And then, uh, you know, from there, you just have to be slightly cautious these days, you know, the THC and the edibles that, you know, if it works for you, it works for you. Um, but you, you it, we can get into cannabis a little bit. So you've never smoked pot. No, I mean, growing up in Ireland, there's hash, as you know, like, you know, that like brown sticky. And I just I always thought that. it was like so gross. <laughs> I didn't gnarly. like the like the feeling, like the burning feeling when you smoke it. And um, and it didn't really like do much for my head or anything. I, I do remember like in college being like, oh, this music does sound better. Like I was like, I'm more interested in this music. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very slight because I already love music so much. So, you know, I was sort of like, mm. and I never like learned how to roll a joint, which like I do remember my best friend who I lived with for many years was just always used to laugh at that and be like, oh my God, that's such like a girl doesn't know how to roll a joint. And she just like smoke, she never buys it and she smokes it when she feels like it. And like, I <laughs> just, I know a lot of dudes like that too. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so no, it wasn't really like in, you know, um, in my life at all. And then, uh, I guess like moving here 10 years ago, I, um, I guess it's like weed is different and people would get like very giggly and stuff when they smoke cannabis here versus when it's hash. This is just from what I've observed. I don't know if this is right, but when it's hash, people don't really get like giggly and high they get more like introspective and like dreamy and floaty whereas here I noticed that people were like high like in that way that they were like they're kind of they just like elevated like everything was like more up um whereas hash seemed to be a little bit more downer of a downer Mm -hmm. um 
And then, yeah, it was just a friend gave me a box of chocolates that I didn't know. She didn't know either. Like it was like a re-gift situation. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I was in um, New Brunswick in Massachusetts, like a couple of weeks back with some friends and, you know, they, they've had legal cannabis for a really long time. And, you know, you go into the store and everything's like very beautifully presented and, um, I was like, oh, I guess like I'll try some of these like ones that you take before you go to sleep. But I don't. Yeah, I feel like because I had that experience where I totally was tripping. You know, I was tripping because I had so much THC that like now my brain is really like, oh, not this again. Like I'm very I feel like I'm sensitive to it. I don't yeah, know if that's true. No, that makes sense. Uh, and I think not. it's not for everybody. I think everybody's mm. brain is wired different. And that's where I come from the non-judgment, like yeah, he wants to drink or do coke or any of that shit. It's like it's kind of on them to figure it out what, yeah. what, what works for them. Same as diet. If you're going to eat meat or not eat meat, like I don't think one way is the only way. Like it's never been. There's just too many people. But I was talking to somebody like in every section of society, there are the pot smokers. Whether it's the, you know, whether mm. it's these people or upper class, lower class, black, white, uh, a Asian, like everybody, there's always like this 20% that just <laughs> loves weed. <laughs> that yeah. are, like it works for them. And I, and I think I've grown into that. Like that's the path I would like to take. And that's how I would like to grow old and hang out on the porch, pulling bong hits and uh, my cat. <laughs> And, uh, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like anything and you, you got to respect it and and watch it. But I, I appreciate your honesty. And it does fascinate me about Ireland. I wanted to talk about. Uh, so it, what about cigarettes? What was the first time you smoked cigarettes like Ireland? I think of Irish bars. I think of pints and I think of, you know, yeah. my my brother in law is straight from Scotland, played in punk bands. Uh, my sister met him in Madrid when she was teaching. So mm. yeah, I have an international vibe with my fam. But yeah, he just he's going to be smoking like he just smokes cigarettes, dude. That's just what he does. There's no way he's going to drop it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's such a commitment. They've made it so hard now. Like I, I did smoke but in um, Ireland. Is everybody hacking butts all day still? No, truly. The smoking ban came in there early like it was one of the first countries in Europe and I think it probably was around like 2005 or 6 because I had just started to do stand-up then and it was like right around then it was like such a change because like the bars used to be like you mentioned like everyone a pints and a fag and like and a cigarette and like just smoking their brains out and there would be clouds and clouds of smoke on the ceiling and this was totally normal yeah. and then I remember excuse me, because it was like where we work, right? Like stand-ups work there. So it was kind of like, oh shit, now I'm just like, even though at the time I smoked myself, but I was like, I'm definitely like inhaling way more smoke because I'm like in a bar every night for hours. Because, you know, when you start out, you always like watch everyone, you hang out and, you know, it's like such a big part of your life. And uh, then the ban came, like no more smoking inside Oh my God, the smell of all the pubs was so disgusting. Like, I don't know if that happened here, but I just remember like everyone was doing these like disgusting Guinness farts and like everyone, the, <laughs> the bars. The cloud the farts. Yeah. yeah, there was no cloud like hiding the horror that really happens in pubs. And like <laughs> all the, it just seemed so like you could see everything clearer and that was depressing as well. Like, I think <laughs> there's yeah. a reason all those old movies are so beautiful because like every Everyone is in this haze of like cigarette smoke and like, you know, smog created by like different factories or whatever. All of this is bad, but it did make things look and smell a bit more bearable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would come home from one of those nights and you would just smell your clothes and it would just be. Oh, my God. Horrible. And your hair. And like, yeah. And, and definitely that thing you said about like, oh, there's always a certain section of the population that's like going to going to smoke cannabis. Like I I think the same was true for cigarettes. I don't know if it still is, yeah. but it was always like, okay, now all the fun people have just left the table. Cause like they're going outside to smoke cigarettes. And it was always just like, 
oh, okay. So you want to be in here with the, and it wasn't, and there's something about like the act of going outside made it like illicit and also like social. Cause you would go out to the smoking area and you'd end up like talking to other groups or like, if somebody would like, if you felt like a, there's a cute person over there, that was a really good excuse to like mingle and blend with them. And um, yeah, there's something still romantic about about cigarette smoking. I don't smoke. I haven't for years now, but I still do think like, right. I still like, oh, Spain. I mean, oh my God. I just think it's so elegant. You see like all these like young parents and the baby's like asleep in the stroller. It's like 10 PM and they're out, you know, on some kind of a pier and like a beautiful Spanish fishing village. And they just like light up a cigarette. I was like, you're the coolest. I can't <laughs> help it. <laughs> I know it is cool and it's something to do and it's, uh, and yeah. it's but I will say like cigarettes and alcohol, I always felt it aged me. Like I could feel it kind yeah. of like drying I, you out. Yeah. Kind of drying me out. Whereas <laughs> cannabis always felt like I was getting younger and it was massaging my brain and massaging. Not that well, I'm you do it. seem like you definitely read a lot younger than you yeah so maybe that's the trick yeah I, I mean uh yeah i do think it b- brings down your blood pressure i don't think it's for everybody yeah i do think growing old what i've noticed if you look at cheech and chong or uh snoop dog like these guys aren't aging whereas cigarettes and, <laughs> and beer beer and cigarettes uh will age you quick you know and then you throw yeah. cocaine in there you know Oof. 35 you're looking 68 you know <laughs> <laughs> you think it's because cannabis like makes people smile and relax I mean that is kind of what keeps you stress-free as well like stress is a big eight you know yeah yeah and I have although it is stress. a stimulant right like I can't tell it's a it, sometimes it brings on the stress and they're all different but I will yeah. say it does I don't know it does snap me out of the funk sometimes if I'm yeah. really in my head and I'm thinking oh god Donald Trump's gonna kill everybody the planet's gonna melt oh my god why am I even doing this and I hit some herb and I stare at a tree you know I'm just yeah like, I, I think it's a little bit of connecting to nature and mm-hmm. I don't think it's for me and I do think like if you want to talk about uh you know the green qualities you know, you can make plastic out of cannabis. Uh, you can make uh, clothing out of cannabis. They're all talking about sweatshops and cheap fashion and, you know, supply chain. I do think like if it was grown and not used to get high, but used as, you know, as cotton was or as like, uh, you mean hemp? Yeah. Or, hemp. Oh, yeah. Hemp to make okay. the strongest mm-hmm. clothing. They, the parachutes in World War Two were all made out of hemp. They're stronger than anything. You can make plastic out of hemp. Like uh, we could change every. Like there is uh, an earth quality to it that I think the planet is calling. And I also think there's a pacifist quality to it that uh, yeah, as aggressive and testosterone pumped as I was as a 80s, 90s young male, uh, you know, it kind of took that that. I always say that I've been reading some boot that will to kill that way to mm. like, I got to dominate. I got uh, mm. like weed cuts that out, you know? Mm. So I kind of, it, it, it kind of chilled me out, but at yeah. the same time, uh, the, the flip side is that it's like the, the word assassin came from hashing is what they say is like the original assassins. And uh, I guess we're all hash fiends. And they were very, uh, <laughs> they would kill people while being very high. So I don't really? know. Yeah, there is. I think there's a, I think to everything, there's a darkness and a lightness and uh, you could use things. But I just as- can't imagine like being an assassin. That strikes me as you have to be like very organized and like very kind of nimble and. Yeah, I think but- if you smoke pot. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, I do end up, st- I start cleaning right away. Yeah. I start organizing. <laughs> it gets you right in the moment. And the only real truth is, <laughs> is this moment. Is that, right. That's truth. All the other is bullshit. It's just thoughts. So, yeah. 
So cannabis will get you like, oh, I got to kill this person. I, yeah, I need to there. get it done. Like I can't, yeah. I can't get I distracted. I got my blow dart. I got my blow dart. <laughs> I got the toad poison. I'm going to put the dart in the toad poison. Uh, here I go. I just need to hit my hash pipe when I get back and I'll be good. And, uh, play- I like your method of um, assassination, Rob. That's really funny. Yeah, some toad. toad yeah, yeah, yeah. Poison. It's like. Oh, they'll never know it was a comedian. <laughs> a blow dart and some toad poison. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's uh, it, it is. But that swings us into my other uh, favorite thing, coffee. Now, where are you at? You live in Brooklyn. So and I know yeah. you, I read from your book, you do enjoy. Do you still enjoy uh, like I'm wavering right now? I used to go through two French presses. And my doctor yeah. was like, you got to slow down, kid. There's like co- one cup French presses. No, big boys. Jesus. Two a day. <sighs> oh, my God. <laughs> so but now I'm on a Chemex and I used to mm. think it was a douchiest. Oh, I, I don't like Chemexes. I know I didn't either, but I tried it. Yeah. The flavor. The flavor is supreme. It is. Uh, it's a it's a better flavor. <laughs> it is. A, it does taste good. Yeah. So, I mean, I just like was on Wirecutter for the last few days, like looking at their reviews of espresso machines. And I'm just like, will I do it? Like, will I pull that trigger? I actually can't at the moment because like the, 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 I can't justify spending that money. Like the, the bare minimum is like $500, but I just, I love espresso. You're going to get the big dog, Mm -hmm. like the Ford engine. Click, click, (laughs) click, 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 I know there's something. Espressos do rock the house. And I have been yeah. there. And that blew my mind how much espresso is flowing in that place, man. Oh my God. And like, I just think it's so, it's like the best treatment of coffee. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. coffee is so abused in this country. <laughs> Yeah. And like, it's down. such a fabulous substance. And then it's like, well, you should, you want to do it justice. You know, it's like, you want to, remember in that stupid movie Avatar, they would like, kill something they'd be like thank you you know they were like ripping off native american culture i guess but like i do feel that way about coffee beans i'm like these are my magic friends like i don't want to just like slam them into like lukewarm water and like not do them justice like so that this is all me trying to justify buying an expensive coffee machine because like i do i also love like because i'm a writer work from home blah blah it's good to like walk out and get coffee and like say hi to the people in the coffee shop and that's all really nice but at the same time I'm like maybe it's time <laughs> I for me yeah maybe it's time to get the clackety clack uh, <laughs> wouldn't you be so impressed though if if like in the background of this podcast you could hear me like bam 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 you know like that and I'd have like a wooden stick so it wouldn't like interrupt it yeah it would just and be the steamer the little nozzle with mm-hmm. the steam thing and the yeah froth it out frothy froth maybe like for my like 50th birthday or something or like i don't know it should be like a you know how sometimes like women if they have a baby they get like a push present which is such a terrible do you know about that like like they get like a ring or like a necklace or something yes it's like <laughs> an engagement thing but they yeah. not have a baby yet. but like i know i don't want to have a baby so like instead of get of that i might just be like okay you need to get me a uh a gagia yeah. <laughs> get me a gagia is that the is that the mercedes benz actually that's one of the lower like it's like a very great like a functional one i think it's like the number two rated one it's like 650 dollars or something but no like the oh the sky is the limit like if you want to get an espresso machine you oh. can absolutely like go for broke like you can buy one absolutely and no cheap. problem for like three grand three grand yeah yeah car <laughs> yes it's a car i know but it's um yeah, like I, I would never, you know, but I like people should. do such insane things like, OK, Chemex is really gaining popularity. And I hear you about, yeah, the flavor. It does. It, it does well with flavor, but it's just like it gets cold so fast. And like it's just so, so fussy with all the like paper and the um, the pouring and um, and then there's the little French you said you use a French press that's what I'm using at the moment um always good always good and like 
I think there's just something so classic about it, you know? It's like, I feel like that's how people have been having coffee like that for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Oh, it's the, I always love the (laughs) simplest design. And I, you're talking to a guy that had like three or four French presses, but I just got my blood work done. And he was like, Rob, your cholesterol. But I was hammering pepperoni like crazy. I went through a pepperoni (laughs) during during the, during the pandemic, like every Friday pizza night. And I would get yeah. double pepperoni and I was like, usually I get like one slice of pepperoni. I was down in like three and I would just oh, more pepperoni with like uh, and I couldn't even wipe off the grease. You know, you usually get the, like on the on bread or uh, no on pizza. I would just oh, get oh, pepperoni oh. pizza like every weekend and then a double, you know, a double espresso. So my doctor was like, you don't need cholesterol medicine, but if you keep going this route, you will get a. Uh, uh, cholesterol medicine. Oh uh, my God. So I was like, yo, he was like, you got to get filtered coffee. And he suggested Chemex. Yeah. So that's why I got into the Chemex. I'm telling you, it's great. I know you got to run here soon. Uh, but what about the little guy? I always see that Italy, my brother-in-law has, <laughs> you could do it on the stove where they have the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bottom. Yeah. I know exactly. That's the one that my family traditionally uses. Yeah, that looks like the jam. Like I used to watch this yeah. book and he would do pasta and then he would do this. He would have one of those jams and he would like, let me show you how to make the most delicious espresso. in the Yeah, world. a little stove top. And it does work out like you get the crema and everything. Yeah, those are lovely. Those are lovely. There's just something about the, um, I don't know, like using the gas and everything that I feel like is fussy. I don't know, the, the simplicity of the French press, like it's just so... Uh, it's just so appealing to me. You just got to push it down. Yeah. <laughs> just like, push it down, drink it down, take off. Take off. And I know you got, okay, you got to run. Yeah, Rob, I, I, but it's been run. so fun chatting with you. So fun chatting You're with you. You're the best. You. I'm going to ask you one quick question. Yeah. Okay, what was the last, what's your, what do you list? I wonder, do you like you too? What's the word on the street in Ireland? Are you, are you, guys, <laughs> you too? Oh my God. Is that whack? Is that sus? Is that uh, is that played out or do you like, no, we stand by these dudes? Oh, I mean, first of all, there's like a running joke in Ireland that like we see Bono everywhere all the time because like everyone's like, yeah, I just saw Bono again. Oh, my God. I went to the supermarket. Fucking Bono was there. Like they're all over there. You know, it's such a small country. Oh, and, yeah. um, you know, I I'm a bit too young. Like I missed their heyday. So. I don't really listen to their music. It's almost like seeing People magazine. Yeah, you see this guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they're not, they're not bad, bad. I don't know. Do you know about Thin Lizzy? Yeah, love Thin Lizzy. Oh my God. My dad was a huge Thin Lizzy fan and saw them, you know, live and like Rory Gallagher and all those incredible guitar players. Um, That was, yeah. I mean, I listened to Thin Lizzy the other night actually me and my friend were driving home from a show and he was like let's put on some irish music i was like okay thin lizzie the cranberries i was so happy <laughs> ah, that's it that's all i needed you're the coolest check out <laughs> uh tell everybody on the train i love them brilliant thank you rats this is no joke knocking a couple of these out and well i can't wait to to read yours and the thing is like just do a couple pages whenever you can like it's not a it's not that bad once you like keep going. Oh, thank you, Maeve. Yeah, mm. I loved how yours was structured. Anybody listening, I have a short attention span. It's all short stories stacked on top of each mm. other. And then it makes sense at the end and has a really cool message about love. Uh, check it all out. Check out Maeve Higgins out there. She's got to run. She's doing it. And I appreciate I'm popping it. and locking. <laughs> never get depressed just you know put on some, put on the movie beat street check out some yeah exactly. and, and uh put on some electric beats i'm not talking about run dmc there's a there's egyptian lover there's a uh what was that craft work craft oh yeah yeah put on some craft work all right and just get it loose <laughs> and uh you'll be all right Maeve. nice all right <laughs> thanks rob yeah peace love thank you bye. everybody bye bye
discovering truth is not a question of intelligence. It's intelligence, not intellectual ability or intellectual intelligence at all. Because if it were, I mean, there's so many people with really um, sharp intellects. Thank you.